Hey everyone, this week we are starting a new campaign called Reconstruct, um, and the uh, I figured we John and I would record a little podcast uh, to kind of lay some more groundwork and give some more background to what we're talking about and this whole this whole topic, this whole concept of construction, deconstruction, and reconstruction. So this podcast is meant to go with the sermon from Sunday and with the devotional. So. Um, hope you're following along with all of that content. This will just kind of add a little bit more detail to that. So uh, just some quick background, what this whole campaign is all about in Reconstruction. It's about identifying these aspects of our faith that are really more about how we view life and culture than they are about the gospel of Jesus. Pretty much all of us growing up, we there were some elements of Christianity that were built into our cultural experience. And that means that when we make these decisions to follow Jesus, there are some things that we've picked up that are really more about our cultural experience than they are about Christ, the Bible, or what the Bible has to say about Christ. So what we do is we construct a faith, and when we construct it, it's a mixture of our culture, our experiences, and our relationships. And when we conflate our faith and our cultural experience, that means uh, something new kind of comes out of that, and it's we call that cultural Christianity. And this isn't, this isn't us like, kind of pointing the finger at anyone because the reality is all of us have elements of cultural Christianity baked into our faith, and it's unavoidable. Um, therefore, what we have to do is deconstruct those aspects of our faith that are more cultural than Christian, and we want to root out the things that aren't truly of God. And when we do that, then we must reconstruct our faith around Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So for today... I want to just talk a little bit about what happens when we, I, th- I think we can fall into two ditches when it comes to this whole concept of construction, reconstruction, or deconstruction, and then reconstruction. We can fall in two ditches of either one just staying in the construction phase, where we, we never question, we never, uh, we never try to, we never try to even like explore our faith or make it our own. We kind of just accept what we had uh, come to believe as uh, children or the culture, the tradition, and the church that we were raised in. We accept those beliefs and we never really question them. Another ditch is to go way too far into deconstruction, which is common among young adults today. This deconstruction idea is super hip in vogue term that everybody's talking about. And the classic story is a uh, young person grows up in the evangelical church, moves to a liberal city, and meets a bunch of people that don't fit or have ideas that don't fit within the ideas that they were raised with as a child. And then they begin to pull on a string and the whole thing unravels. Or to use the metaphor of the construction deconstruction thing, they begin to knock down a wall and the whole thing collapses, right? Um, so that's a common story today. So we want to talk about both ditches. Um, so let's start off by just talking about staying in the construction phase and some of the reasons why that happens and some of the dangers of that. Yeah, and that's a it's an interesting topic for us because we both grew up in church, right? Our, we are both uh, have dads who are pastors, and so we've been very much grown up in the church and, and in some ways that we're both very, very thankful for. Um, but this this idea of cultural Christianity, I really, I really do think it's something that nobody escapes when they, when they, their faith is formed mm-hmm. um, alongside other cultural decisions, choices, preferences that their parents and their their communities have. And I'm super excited for this. I'm really, really excited for this campaign because I think there is so much that all of us can learn um, 
because there isn't one kind of cultural Christianity. There isn't one way that this, that this always swings, that there's so many different ways that, that we add to the gospel um, because of preference, because of, because of culture, because of upbringing, whatever it is. And so, but thinking about staying in that, in that more, um, I think it's a helpful visual because you kind of said there's two ditches, right? So the, the one ditch is question nothing and just keep like, just keep your, you know, set your face like Flint and never, um, never reexamine uh, any of, any of how you got to where you are. And then the other would be to like, to really get into a, a very deconstruction place where you're, where you're, you're kind of focused on, um, on seeing, seeing what's built come down and you value that more than what is actually there when you're done. Right. So I like the image of just like walking a road as, as your path of faith and exploring who God is and, and trying to grow in your understanding of what God's will is. And then these two ditches, um, maybe we would call the left, the, the deconstruction ditch of like, okay, we're too far. Mm-hmm. We're too far in the, in the direction of question everything. And the motive behind that isn't really even really to like continue to seek truth as much as it is to see things crumble. Um, and then on the right side, the ditch is very much about like, keeping things the way they are, not because necessarily it's the truth, but because I have a vested interest for whatever reason, personality, comfort, uh, I benefit from it in some way, whatever it is, but I have a vested interest in keeping it the way that it is. Um, And yeah, that fear, that fear of the whole thing falling apart if you question even one thing, um, et cetera. Even the example you brought of, someone meets people that have a different worldview than theirs and, and things start to really feel really unstable really quickly. Right. Even some of that is built in a cultural Christian Christianity of like the, the evil and the badness of the, of the people that are out there who disagree with us. And so even that is sort of a cultural thing built into, we call it fundamentalism or whatever. A lot of people who grow up in faith is the person who doesn't believe what we believe is not going to be kind to you. They're not going to like, you know, and you get out into the world and very quickly you're like, gosh, some of these people are pretty great. Right. Yeah, right. And so that doesn't mean we're wrong about God. We just have to rebuild our theology about, um, about how God's um, characters and qualities and his grace come out through people and, and are bestowed upon people. So, mm-hmm. so even something like that is, it, it can be a really um, jarring experience for somebody. Right. But it's built on, it's built on just some, some faulty ideas. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, as you as you were talking, I, I remembered I, I have this book up on my computer. I was reading this book by AJ Soboda called After Doubt and kind of talking about the two different aspects or the two different types of cultures that we could have raised in, whether it was a conservative culture um, or a more liberal Christian culture. And on the conservative culture, he, he writes, we can all thank God that Doubting Thomas didn't have his doubt crisis in a fundamentalist conservative church. They would have told him that he didn't believe anymore and that he was doomed to destruction. And right. That's that's exactly um, that's exactly what often happens. And then on the other side of the equation, he's talking about those who live in the deconstruction phase, and, and he says this has led to a kind of Gnostic clique of naysayers who rest their pride on finding every last vestige of dirt on the church and the Bible with a pretense of arrogance that is absolutely nauseating. So I think there's... This, this is a very common experience that a lot of people are seeing in, in the church today. And when we, when we talk about especially conservative church cultures, which you and I 
were raised in more of that. Right. There tends to be this, this fear of meeting somebody new, like you were talking about, and them causing us to question our faith and how bad that might be. So there's this kind of mentality of circle the wagons, you know, don't let anybody influence you outside of this small niche. There is a lot of um, uh, trouble with that mentality because you will meet somebody. Like the internet's here, it's here to stay. You're going to kind of confront ideas that are different than the way you were raised. And so we need wisdom in order to navigate through those and still seek truth. Right. And the irony of the of that ditch of the like this, these are the good people, the bad people are out there. The irony of that is it makes it makes communities so vulnerable to wolves because implied in the us us and them thing is that us is good. Mm-hmm. And so there's it's pretty easy to get into a community like that with the wrong motives with a few simple external things that you do. You don't swear you uh, whatever the few right things that you need to do are. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you can take advantage. You can, you know, so I think there's a, there's an element of safety in a lot of that of like, we want to keep our kids away from these types of people, but within those communities, there is, there is so much potential for, for harm because, because there is this sense of like the good people look like us. And so mm-hmm. if you can just mimic, if you can kind of like become a chameleon and look like that, yeah. you can, um, you can take advantage and there's, I mean, most people listening even know how many stories there are of people who have taken financial advantage of people mm-hmm. or, um, you know, sexual predators, any number of just heartbreaking, heartbreaking stories. Mm-hmm. But it is a little bit of a, a target for people because there is that assumption mm-hmm. that, that we know what the good people look like. They look like us, right? Right. Uh, what I want to talk about a little bit is when we stay in this construction phase, uh, part of the reasons why. Um, I think that's a helpful uh, way to at least explore this and to unpack if we have gone through this faith journey or this aspect of the faith journey, which is not a one and done thing. This is kind of a constant cycle that we go through in our life. One of the main reasons is when we look back at the way we were raised, part of the reason why we may just not want to question things is, is, a, is an honor culture to where when you begin to question anything or ask questions of the faith you were raised with, you feel like you're dishonoring your parents or you feel like you are not appreciative of the way that you were raised. And, and in some cases, it is a big break. Like when you begin to question things, it becomes very difficult for parents to have these conversations with you because you are then questioning the, the way that your parents were raised. And if you're a parent, it's very difficult to have this conversation with your kids because they are beginning to question some things. Um, but at the end of the day, as we said, again, this is a healthy kind of aspect of your faith journey, if done right. And it has to be done right. So fear of dishonoring your parents. Again, I think it's a good thing to honor your parents. Scripture calls us to honor our parents. But questioning the ideas that you're raised with, um, John, maybe you can speak to that a little bit, and how, how to do that in a way that is, that is still honoring your parents because this is often a point of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and I have both walked through this to some degree mm-hmm. um, and still honoring our parents, but being willing to ask these big questions of faith. Yeah, I think the um, I always come back to gratitude, like just having a tremendous amount of gratitude for what my parents did for me. Mm-hmm. I've got amazing in-laws. I'd say the same thing about them, just like maintaining that gratitude because without that, things get run really unhealthy really quickly. Right. Yeah. If you start to see... Um, cause we all, I mean, we, we all grow up and then we, we see our parents as adults a little bit and we're like, Oh, I, that's a, I wasn't aware of that, right. you know, thing when I was a kid or, yeah. um, this dynamic, et cetera. And that, and 
growing in your awareness of those things is like, it's actually a big part of becoming an adult. Um, it's, it's can be a really difficult part of becoming an adult for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to do that in, in a, in a way where you maintain gratitude for what your parents did for you, for the things they taught you. Like I, I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for those things. And honestly, like sometimes I'll be in conversations with people who are more on the, the, like the deconstructive side of things. Right. And it does like, there is this part of me that gets very just sort of like almost defensive for their parents of like, are you, so it was only bad. Mm-hmm. It was only bad what they did right. for you. Like, like, can we zoom out a little bit and have the perspective, especially in a, in a, in a culture like ours that we grew up with, we grew up in. It's like, in comparison to, I mean, if I zoom out even even a little bit, I've got it pretty good. If I zoom out to like the whole world, I mean, I've been raised. I should be very, very thankful mm-hmm. for for what I was given and what I was born into and what I was raised with, right? Right. And so, that gratitude is important. But I've I also know a lot of people um, who I would say have fought to stay in the in that constructed phase, which I think. I don't think of it as like still building. I think of it as like you almost are thinking of your faith as a finished product, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's almost a, there's almost an element of pride to it where you're like, no, I was taught this as a kid. Now I know it. Mm -hmm. There's really nothing to reexamine or to continue to explore. Right. Right. But in a lot of cases, I I think they actually, people can really struggle with ungratefulness in different aspects of their life, but they never apply that here Mm -hmm. to their faith and how they were raised, you know? Because there is, there is just this, I think, this under underlying fear of like, this is something that so much of my life is built on. And if I reexamine it and I really shift in my thinking, it's going to be a real, it's going to be a real problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think people do avoid it um, for that reason. But, but ultimately, like for me, I try to think critically. I try to keep, I try to continue to, to walk a path that's curious, that's discovering, that's exploring and not just taking what I was what I was taught as a kid and saying this is all 100% right but also not you know throwing um, the baby Jesus out with the bathwater <laughs> you know there's 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 some core truths there that are really good and and by and large my parents did a really good job of of building a foundation um, not just a foundation of faith but a culture of like caring about lost right. people caring about hurting people um, this isn't just for you there's so much that I really appreciate and anytime I anytime I'm losing sight of that, I try to, I try to just like that's a gut check and a heart check for me because I don't want to. That's not how I want to like walk through life with my right. parents is just is seeing them for what they weren't <laughs> right. rather than for what they were and what they continue right. to be right. Right. It's like any other relationship, mm-hmm. and so um, I guess that would be the that would be the main thing I think about. I mean, yeah, a- I think anything, parenting decisions, right. faith, anything. You're not going to do it exactly the way they did, but that doesn't mean you can't have genuine gratitude for, mm-hmm. for what they did. Yep. And I think I've heard you talk about it before on one of our other podcasts where you mentioned that our kids will deconstruct their faith probably one day. Right. And that just gives me a whole new like perspective of humility when you think about it that way. It's like, right. Like I'm going to be in the, I'm going to be in the other seat <laughs> someday and I'm going to have to have these conversations with my kids and think about how I parent now in light of that. And it just creates a, a whole concept of humility. Right. Which I think humility is at the core of it. Gratitude and humility is super, super important. And you mentioned it just a minute ago. Like I think that one of the other reasons that we tend to avoid like questioning or um, deconstructing our faith at 
at all, at all in any degree is simply just we're afraid that the whole thing is going to unravel and well, how and just the term like deconstructing it right. doesn't sound like something you want to do yeah and like, why would I negative. why would I sign up for that you right. know <laughs> right and in the Christian pop culture has a very negative connotation right deconstruction usually means I completely lost my faith right um, so how we're using it is more just like a curiosity questioning um, being willing to question things that we we do believe with the intention of discovering truth um, and coming to the truth of what scripture says. So, and, and ultimately we're not encouraging people to deconstruct faith in Jesus. We're encouraging people to, mm-hmm. by exploring, figure out and discover which parts of their faith were never really part of the way of yeah. Jesus anyways. Exactly. Right. And the, I mean, and you said right. that when you opened, so the, that's why it's important for so many people and what so many people fail to do mm-hmm. when they go too far in the other direction. And we'll talk about that is, they fail to recognize that what they've deconstructed isn't actually Jesus. Right, right. It's um, it's these other things, but they they refuse to they lump it all together. Yeah, yeah. Um, usually because they're angry or whatever, rather than rather than actually parsing out parsing out what they're deconstructing and why. Right. Exactly. Which, which I, th- I think is a, a really important thing to note when you listen to stories of people who have deconstructed and completely lost their faith. So rarely does it start with. I don't, I don't know about that guy Jesus anymore. You know, right. It almost always starts with things that are secondary or tertiary, like these ancillary aspects of the faith that were more cultural than Christian in the first place. But because of those questions, then they lead, it leads them to deconstruct and almost abandon Christ entirely, which that's the, that's the sad part, and that's the way to not deconstruct your faith. Um, so we're going to talk most this whole campaign about how to, how to build our faith back up around the truth of Christ. And I think when we talk about fearing the whole thing come coming undone and unraveling and, and that is a legitimate fear because your entire worldview is built on this. Like the entire way that you approach life, your, your moral system, your truth system, like all of these, like even your relational systems are built around your faith. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be a scary thing to question any of that and fear that any of it might come undone because these are core aspects of how to be a healthy human being. So, right. Um, I get it. And the, the other reason that I thought of for why we tend to, um, uh, avoid even asking questions and remaining curious, like you said, is, it's just, it's a lot of work. <laughs> when you start asking these big questions, it takes time. It takes time to process, to sit and to think and to ponder and to read and to discover like this is, a, it's a lengthy time consuming process and in a culture in which we constantly are too busy, have too much stuff going on, uh, more entertainment than we need, more work often just sounds like a burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there is there is this element for so many, like it, if it is, and it's actually one of the clear signs that there is there's a, if you're looking for a sign that there's, there's some element of cultural Christianity in your faith, um, if you if you think about the idea of spending a lot of time exploring and you're, and you're just like I would rather just stay where I am and then you think about all the all the like the things in your life that are like it's fine this way mm-hmm. that's that is like textbook culture cultural christianity right it's the mm-hmm. idea that yep. I might not be right about these things but I that's not actually that being right about them isn't as important mm-hmm. as um being able to like justify my current way of life mm-hmm. Right. And so, and so it does, it is, it is a little bit about just like, yeah, I I mean, it's a big undertaking, 
And uh, it's just not top of mind for me right now. Mm-hmm. But the reality of the situation is we, if we prioritize things the way that we tend to in our society, like time to wrestle with what you believe, that's not that's not a calendar priority for anybody, right? Yeah. Even I think about like, you know, a pastor and what they're, and I'm actually, I'm really thankful that we don't have a lot of this, but I've talked to a number of people who are like, we want to know what, like, like doing time studies on their pastors and saying, what are you doing with your 40 hours a week? And uh, Eugene Peterson always talked about the idea of being a contemplative pastor, which is the idea of like, sometimes I want to be able to just think, reflect, pray. I want to be able to just do those things so that I can continue to grow in wisdom and help others in our community do the same. I don't want my whole, I don't want it to be like eight hours of sermon, eight hours of meetings. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and I think that's really important mm-hmm. to the culture of a church is you, and you can tell, <laughs> I mean, I can tell like, mm-hmm. is this a pastor who is like filling up their schedule with productivity mm-hmm. or is there real time in there for contemplation, for growth, for spending time with the Lord, for mm-hmm for spending time with the word, not just to prep a sermon all the time, you know, all those different things. And there's no way the people in our church are, are going to do it if the pastors don't do it. Right. If we're not actually, if we only care about our own growth in so much as it like, we find it quote unquote useful for our day-to-day lives, mm-hmm. then that's what, that's going to be the norm for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. But in our, in, in my mind, it's like, if I grow, it doesn't matter how that applies to my job. It doesn't all have to be, it doesn't all have to be workforce development, right? <laughs> it can be, and it should be, primarily so that I can better commune with God. Mm-hmm. And so carving out time for that, carving out space for that, figuring out rhythms for that is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Encouraging other people to do the same is really, really important because it's like if you don't, if you never slow down or if you just say like it's, I just, when will I, when do I have the time for something like that, you know? Um, you'll for sure stay where you are, but at the same time, we never really stay where we are. Right. So you will, um, you will be in atrophy or you will be further believing lies. You will be further cemented into these cultural markers that you think are a part of your faith, mm-hmm. but they're really not a part of any, anybody's faith. They're just a part of your, right. um, kind of your, your broader worldview. Right. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, you and I both just took sabbaticals this summer, and that was one of the that was one of the gems in the sabbatical for me, and something that I've been telling telling folks as we talk, as I ask how my sabbatical was, was one of the best parts of it. Was time to just be bored and to sit and think, mm. and where I didn't have all these responsibilities that I had to that I had to accomplish, right, and punt or check off a, off a list, and just to sit and to think and to take the truths that I know, but apply them to my own heart and to my own situation, my own life. And without taking that time to just stop and think and be bored, it just wouldn't happen. We just wouldn't apply these truths and we wouldn't have time to reflect and, and ponder that, that, that building that into our lifestyle is just so important. Yeah, totally agreed. And I think there's, um, I talked about this a little bit in church this past Sunday, we were talking about truth and growing in, growing in truth and our understanding of the truth and our, our ability to, to determine God's will for, for a situation, for our lives, for our family, etc. Um, there are when you talk about the Bible, when you talk about the disciplines, um, spending time with the Lord, spending time in prayer, spending time reading the Bible, and there's so many others. But there is this. I I do believe a hundred percent. There is like this universal 
wisdom, and by universal, I mean like it can be universally applied to your life. There are, there's almost no situation where a little more wisdom wouldn't help you. And we are so utilitarian in our thinking as how does this help me, mm-hmm. you know? And so I hate to tell, I hate to like tell people like, oh, you should become more wise because it's going to help you with like your investments or whatever. Right, right. Um, that's not the motivation, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Wisdom, like well-rounded wisdom will help you with, with virtually every area of your life because it's, it's not just Bible knowledge. It's, um, it's knowledge of yourself, knowledge of God, knowledge of what would God's will for the situation be. Like there's so much that goes into it, but it is, it's, for, it's a, it's a massive value added. And it can't even be, it can't really be measured as those things grow. You know, I think about like the class, like the, the example I always think of for this is like people knowing now what I didn't know when I remodeled my house, we bought the fixer upper. Right. And it's like how invaluable Mm -hmm. some of this information is now that I didn't know then, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I could, I could probably put a price tag on it if I wanted to. I could talk about time. I could talk about it from the lens of like stress and conflict with my wife. I can like, there's so many ways that added wisdom back then would have made such a big difference, right? Mm-hmm. And that's remodeling a house, right? right, right. Um, buying a car, whatever your situation mm-hmm. is, um, it it can really, really be helpful. And I think when people stay in the constructed phase, what they're basically, I think sometimes basically the trade-off they're making is more wisdom isn't a priority for me if it's going to be a lot of work if it's going to be emotionally taxing cuz i'm going to have to like grieve some things that i've i thought were true or whatever that's not that's not worthwhile for me that's where <laughs> that's where it kind of breaks down is like there's just no world in which we're going to we're going to be okay with anybody ever being settled right in that we should always be growing in our wisdom and our understanding of god's will mm-hmm. for our lives absolutely i think the key word there is just curiosity <laughs> just always stay curious always keep uh, learning and growing more. Next thing I want to talk about is just going too far into deconstruction, which again is the invoke thing to do. And super cool, super trendy is to deconstruct your faith and and uh, kind of poke holes and question everything that that is old or anything that kind of reminds you of of your your upbringing or your childhood or the that is not progressive um, in the sense of of moving into the next era. One of the dangers is staying there permanently. Is just constantly questioning and never coming to answers. So there's value in questioning, but at some point like you need to reconstruct and you need to, and that's what this whole campaign is about. Because when we do deconstruct our faith, we have to build something up. Seeking truth and seeking answers isn't the goal. It's more just the question becomes the goal or the deconstruction becomes the goal. And then after we've poked holes in all of our thinking and all of our really basic uh, systems of morality, of truth, all of that. All we're left with is kind of rubbles in this analogy. We've deconstructed everything. We're just left with a, a like house down to the studs. It's like that's the way our philosophy on life looks. And it's really, really hard to be settled and to be uh, to be in a place of peace and joy and happiness if we don't have truth. If we're not even seeking truth if we're just more asking questions, trying to deconstruct what we used to think is true. Yeah, I, th- I think you talk about going too far into deconstruction, and I kind of think of like the foundation of permanent deconstruction is really just arrogance. Oh, for sure. It's the idea of like, it's not important what I believe, I'm because my whole 
my whole worldview is, is built on like being able to see the stupidity in what you believe. Right. <laughs> right. And it's, um, and so then, but it, that's not to say that if you say like, well, what do you believe? They'll have some, probably some loftier, grandiose answers. Um, but, but they will probably be things that, that there's no, there is no history. So you can't say like, here's how that didn't work in a lot mm-hmm. of cases. Cause it's all theoretical. Right. Yeah. And so, so yeah, with, uh, within like the Christian faith, right. There's a number of things that can be deconstructed. There's a number of things. If you want to think critically and find problems, there will always be those. And there is a really important, we already talked about it. It's really important to identify problems so we can make things better. Right. We don't want to, we don't want to make the mistakes of the church of the 1500s or 1600s or 1900s. We can we can judge them through the lens of the time that they were in a little bit, and we can still say what they did was what was wrong that they did was wrong, but not as a way of of propping ourselves up as so much better. That's really that's just really not a useful exercise. But more as a way of saying, okay, okay, we're gonna we have to build something better. Mm-hmm. And when we stay in deconstruction, it's basically like it's a little bit of analysis paralysis of just saying. I'm sort of admitting, like, I don't really know how to build anything better. I just know how to point out the problems, but also an inability to understand, like, to understand or really grasp the idea that something has to, something will exist. If you create a vacuum, something will be built up in that vacuum. And it really, and if you think you believe nothing, you basically, like, you've built a whole religion of your own. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of built on arrogance of, of what you, what you know so much better than. But it's also, it's beholden to no, it's beholden to nobody. Mm-hmm. There's no history that that matters. There's no structures that matter. There's no nobody that went before you, so to speak. Yeah, I think you're onto it there. And that gets to just the overall perspective that whatever old whatever's old is bad. Um, right. And that's again problematic. So in the area of in in the field of science, usually sure, right? Like we're progressing. Uh, Technology is getting better. Everything is getting better. But when it comes to things like philosophy, when it comes to theology, uh, especially uh, if you if you want to be an Orthodox Christian, uh, in the sense that you're a Bible believing Christian, what Jesus said, the way Jesus lived, and what Jesus did is two thousand plus years old, but it's the best. <laughs> it is good, and that is the way that we should be building our life around it. Um, so, in the Christian tradition, the Christian faith, whatever um, whatever is old in the sense of what Jesus did is what we should be modeling, patterning our life after. And that doesn't mean that we don't adopt it into new cultures, into new new ways of thinking, but the truth of who Jesus is and what he taught and what he did must still be the foundation of our faith. And so it all goes back to scripture. So in that sense, it is. We can only, um, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but you can only kind of come up with new creative ideas so far <laughs> in the Christian faith. Because really what we're trying to do is just expound on what the truth of Jesus said and did uh, within our cultural framework in time. Yeah, and, and like for for young people, um, really for our whole, I mean, American society, but especially for younger people, the idea of constraints that you're supposed to build your life around is like, is sort of like this, um, constraints are kind of like the cardinal sin of our post-Christian society, right? It's just kind of like, you don't tell me what to do. Um, and, and so some people, they don't see that there's the resistant to constraints and, and basically an outside authority that, that they're supposed to build some of, if not all of their life around other people are 
they see that they're like, they, I don't want that. So, but we've got a number of people in church. We've seen a number of times over the last couple of years that they really don't want to be told what to do any more than someone who's not a Christian does. And so when, when, when their authority and their own, own autonomy for every aspect of their life is tested, they don't respond well. And ultimately none of us do initially. Our gut reaction is not going to be good to those things. Um, but to people who stay in deconstruction, the idea that they're supposed to buy into constraints, they're supposed mm-hmm. to accept that like, hey, there's these healthy constraints, there's these healthy parameters or uh, what Andy Stanley would call guardrails mm-hmm. for your life. And it really is better if you stay mm-hmm. if you stay within these guardrails. Yeah. For some people, the like it's just like it's like telling it's like telling a class of second graders not to like watch the dog out the window. <laughs> they're all gonna want to watch the dog out the window immediately, right? Yep. And so, so the idea that it, whether it's because it's old or because of, of the constraints that are a part of it, people are going to be resistant to those things because with the new and the theoretical, there are no existing constraints for me. I can build that for myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, but I was just, I was just having a conversation with a buddy the other day about how constraints, I'm a very creative person. I've got like this restless creative energy. I always want to start new things. And I'm learning more and more that even in like my workflow, in my the constraints in my life help me so much. I get way more done than I would without them. I um, I am a way. I'm just. It's just. It's helpful in every way, even creatively. Even people who just think of themselves as hyper creative, some level of parameter helps your creativity. It guides your creativity, right? And so the idea that um, there's only so much creativity. Um, because we do have these constraints of like, oh, here's the big, here's the big pillars of our faith, and we don't really paint outside these lines, mm-hmm. right? Within these lines, there's a lot we can do, but outside these lines, there's very little, right? And so, I think for some people, that's just, it really is in a in a in a religion of me that is the cardinal sin is is telling that person accept the accept the constraints that that this book tells you sh- you should put on your life, mm-hmm. and when we. When I'm in conversations with people who are really um, concerned about this about this trend of lacking lacking constraints within our culture, my answer is almost always just give it time. Like mm-hmm. as people mature individually, as our society continues on and on and on, um, we will begin to notice and begin to see a lot of the how, how vacuous this this ideology can be of lacking constraint on everything. Well, and even there's, it's, um, it's inconsistent because people who mm-hmm. have a deep resentment for, you know, that whatever, they see the constraints that are on their life, they have a deep resentment for those. Mm-hmm. They tend to be the same people who are willing to put authoritarian constraints on yeah. people with whom they disagree. Right, right. right? And so um, it really, it falls apart pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. For sure. And the last one that I wanted to touch on is when we go too far in deconstruction, um, we often get there because of bad experiences. And this one, I think, requires a lot of sensitivity when we talk about it because there are a lot of uh, cases, a lot of stories of just terrible like, experiences of, uh, of church or your experiences of church may have been really, really awful. There may be a lot of evil, a lot of bad teaching, a lot of um, terrible things that happen within the church. And so it can be difficult to, to talk about this and it can be difficult to... Uh, to revisit some of those things and to kind of parse out the the evil from the good and to parse out the 
the truth from the lies and the deceptions, um, especially when those are your experiences. And so first things first, when, when you have had a bad church experience, like we, we grieve with you in that Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't stand here on a, on a high horse and say like, we're perfect. And, and uh, church will never do that again. Like, man, the, we're, we're all sinful. Our view of sinful nature says that this, this will happen and that sin and evil um, sadly exists within the church way more than, than we wish it would. And that's, that's in part why we, why we strive so much for the holiness that scripture calls us to and why we do put these constraints on us and, and we often fail. So first and foremost, we, uh, we, we grieve, especially if that is your church experience. We, we grieve with you in that because the, those are usually, at least in my experience, bad experiences are usually the catalyst for um, deconstruction. And then um, understandably, it leads to an overemphasis on uh, the deconstruction phase. Yeah, and I think the... When so like let's say there's a, a leader with a moral failing, a pastor with a moral failing, one of the things that's really difficult is um, some people will go the route of the route of um, too much deconstruction when that happens. Other people will go to back to the other ditch we had talked about where they right. they just you know like they're that that's the pastor who gave the altar call when they accepted Jesus, and so the idea that he was. Um, at the same time, stealing money or having an affair is just more than they can really even wrap their heads around. So rather than having an honest wrestling with that, they continue to support that person or they don't believe um, no matter how much evidence there is or whatever. And that I'd say for a lot of people who have deconstructed due to bad experiences, the greater harm isn't always done by the leader, but by the people who, who make them the, the people who, they thought loved them or, or did love them, but refused to acknowledge the hurt that happened, refused to um, have any accountability for it. I think that's where, that's where a lot of the really deep hurt happens. Having grown up in church, uh, in evangelical church, and I mean, both of us that we don't, I don't know a lot of people who have, who have avoided some sort of bad leadership experience or bad church experience over the years. And it's, that's just a sad, a sad reality of where most of us are. And something that I think is a little bit of a, when we have these kind of conversations, if people are wonder why we talk about these things so much, it's because we have conversations with people all the time who've had these sorts of experiences and they, um, they affect people differently. It is something that it's become a big commitment for us as a church is like, we're not going to be effective with every single person, but what we need to not do uh, what we need to not do is is actually harm people with uh, with our selfishness, with our pride. You know, it is this it is this reality that so many navigate, and it's a it's a difficult to, thing to wrestle with of like the fruit of a ministry from a person who's also very flawed, and and God working through people who maybe didn't even have the best motives the whole time. God working through people who were lying, who were cheating, who were doing these other things. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's. It's very difficult, but I always, I try to encourage people if there was truth, even, even if it was truth, truth that they told you on accident, they didn't even know they were doing a good thing, whatever it is. If there was truth that you learned through that person, through that process, you can hold on to that truth and you can, you can ground that truth back in the truth of scripture mm-hmm. and the way of Jesus, because Jesus did not do that thing to you. 
And Jesus would not have done that thing to you. And even if the leader did, even if the followers got behind the leader or whatever, that's heartbreaking. I hate those stories. I hate hearing them. There's so many of them. That is not the way of Jesus. I think that's the place to leave this this podcast, and that's really going to be the application of this whole this whole campaign is through this process of reconstructing our faith when we look back at how we constructed it, deconstructed it, and how we build it again is Jesus, is look to him. Um, as you said, John, he's so, he's so good. He would not do those things. That he, he is the only one who we can look at and say was perfect, who was perfect in truth, who taught truth, and it was perfect in how he lived it out and how he shared it with others and how he loved people and cared for people. So when we begin to reconstruct our faith, we look at Jesus. He is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so we must just keep our eyes on him and just adore him and love him more and more. And as we read through the Gospels and read through these stories of people who have deconstructed their faith, uh, it, it is consistent. They, they meet Jesus they deconstruct and then they just fall in love with Jesus and follow him in his way, his truth and his, his morality, his way of living life. It's just, it's perfect. Loving God, loving others. So we keep our eyes on Christ and follow him. Thanks for listening.